Well, good morning again, church. Hey, go and get out your Bibles and also your notes as well. And um, while you're doing that, um, I just wanted to ask you a question this morning and just ask you, how was your week? How was it? You know, I think a lot of times, like when you ask that question, people respond, hey, my week was good. But also they might say, hey, my week was busy. In fact, I think a lot of times when you ask people that question in this season, hey, how is life going? How was your week? How was your day? The classic response right now is life is busy. It's so busy. My life is busy. My day was busy. Come on, you know it's true. In fact, some of you are even watching online today because you had a busy week. That is one of the most prominent and repeated phrases of our culture right now is that we're busy. Again, look, I get it. Traffic, sporting event, homework, schoolwork, going to work, um, side hustles, binge watching stuff like The Bachelor, like Pastor Brian does. I mean, I know there's so many things happening in our lives right now in this season. Look, I get it. I know life is busy. And I don't know when it happened, but busyness has become a badge of honor in our culture. Again, I'm not saying it's you, okay? It's probably just me, or maybe it's at least the person sitting next to you. But when did it become that way in our culture? And have you ever slowed down enough to ask the question, why are we so busy? Are we busy because we're worried? Are we worried if we, we slowed down enough that we would have to deal with something that maybe we've been feeling or thinking or maybe that we even need to mourn or grieve over? Are we busy because we have something to prove? And, and, and uh, I really do get that. Like, I get that sometimes we um, build our schedules, build our lives in so many things because we may have something to prove. And especially coming from a family of Jamaican immigrants, we're working hard to prove that you've made it was the norm. Um, I feel that sometimes even in my own life that the, the son of a Jamaican immigrant can make it and we're not just sitting around listening to Bob Marley all day, okay? So sometimes we're busy because we feel like we have something to prove. Or maybe we're busy because we are feeling the need to feel self-important. Look, I know people want to feel wanted and want to feel needed. And sometimes we said yes to more and more and more and more over and over and over again because we want to feel wanted, because we want to feel needed when we should have said no to adding one more thing to our schedule. And again, church, I get it. Busyness in our culture is a badge of honor. And so many people even feel it right now. They can say, man, my life right now is 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Like you wear that as a badge of honor. But is that good for you? Is that what God wants for you? Because sometimes we wear busyness as a badge of honor, but it could even be a sign of brokenness. It was Corey Ten Boom who said, look, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Today, we're in part two of our series on Exodus, and God's been writing this incredible story from the beginning. Look, it is a story that is for his glory. And so many people have tried to stop his story, to corrupt his story, or to try to break it down. But the story that God is writing, look, the last chapter has already been written, even though it's not yet. 
So if this great big eternal story is for God's glory, what does that mean for our life's story? Look, does your life story fit in, submit to, and line up with God's eternal story? In the next part of the story we're going to read today in Exodus 16, God has been trying to pull something out of the Israelites that has been ingrained in them for 400 years. Man, you want to talk about a forced habit or something perpetual that has been passed down from generation to generation? But God wants to pull this thing out of them and tell them, look, it is not good for you. But just like last week, we talked about how when God provides for his children, when God provides for his people, one of the way that he provides, that he provides a better way. And again, that thing that God is going to show them here in Exodus 16 is how to rest. Again, church, don't miss this. 400 years of backbreaking, oppressive labor. 400 years that the Israelites went through this backbreaking seven day a week, sun up to sundown, oppressive labor. In fact, the Egyptians didn't see the people as people, they saw them as projects and property. But God will call them to be like Him, to follow Him for his glory, and as part of their story, God would show them what it meant to build in this rhythm of rest in their lives that God himself did. So go ahead and turn your Bibles if you haven't yet to Exodus chapter 16, and we're going to start in verse 22. And listen to the next part of this story. Exodus 16 verse 22. It says, On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers of it, And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow, tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they lay it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and did, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. And Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. Today I want to share with you three things you get when you rest. And the first thing you get when you rest is anticipation. It's something to look forward to. When you actually build in a rhythm of rest, it also builds in this healthy rhythm of anticipation. Look at Exodus chapter 16, verse 22 again. Look, Moses said, look, this is what the Lord has commanded. He says, tomorrow, tomorrow is this day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. You know, Sabbath is the Hebrew word Shabbat, which simply means to cease to stop, or to rest. It's a verb in the Hebrew language. It's literally the action of resting. In fact, a couple of notes, a couple of things to point out as God's like giving them this action, this command to rest, is that this will be a test for them. Remember we read last week that this was going to be a test to see if they were going to follow God in his ways and in what he has commanded. Will they obey him and follow what the Lord has said? But this is also a command for them. Look, they they are going to work six days out of the week. 
Then on the seventh day, they were commanded to rest on the seventh day. But then this is also a creation connection for them. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, it says that God rested on the seventh day. Before any of the laws were given, God instituted this principle of rest for his children. He didn't want them to be robots or property like the Egyptians viewed them as, but as image bearers of God to reflect our heavenly Father. Resting even builds in this anticipation of hope that we are going to be like the God who made us. But note that Moses announces, he says, look, tomorrow, tomorrow is going to be this day of solemn rest. He lets them know that it's coming. But the leading up to this day of rest was designed to build this healthy sense of anticipation for them. Have any of you ever looked forward to your day off? Now, some of you, like, your job is not your favorite thing in the world. Now, some of you love your job. But do you look forward to when that day off is coming for you? And it's the same type of healthy anticipation that God is telling the children of Israel here. Look, we need to look forward to that day off, that time to rest. And Moses tells the people, look, you also need to prepare for this rest. Moses reminds them they need to gather what they need for tomorrow. There will not be anything on the ground. They had to prepare for this rest. So on the sixth day, they would gather more manna and they were told to bake it or to boil it, to make cereal or oatmeal, these types of bread with it. Because on that seventh day, there will be nothing out there on the ground, nothing coming into the camp. So they had to prepare to rest. So this rhythm of rest that we're to look forward to, forward to, look, God says you're supposed to be obedient in it. You're supposed to plan for it. And you're also to prepare for it. Look, I'm sure you've heard it said before that if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And it's the same thing even with the rest that God wants you to build in your life. We need to have these healthy rhythms of rest that we obey God in, that we plan for, that we even prepare for. The second thing that you get when you rest is that you get provision and submission. And it's a reminder that everything in this life does not depend on you. Verse 27. It says, on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. Look, these were the people who chose not to obey. Look, God says, I'm commanding you in this. You need to prepare for it. You need to be obedient in it. You need to plan for this day of rest because if you go out there, there won't be anything. And so some people did not obey this rhythm that God is trying to build into their lives. So they went out looking for what they wanted, but they didn't find what they needed. They went out looking to work, but what God wanted for them was for them to rest. So some people went out and they went to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, look, how long are you going to refuse to follow and to keep my commandments and my laws? And God is asking Moses this rhetorical question to ask the people, how long is God going to command something to you? And they're not going to follow it. And then Moses says, look, see, the Lord has given you, has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. 
Again, when the Israelites were back in Egypt, seven days a week, from sunup to sundown, back-breaking oppressive labor. In fact, if you didn't work, uh, more than likely, like you were probably either maybe thrown into some type of Egyptian prison. Um, you may be beaten. And again, not like a gentle, um, a gentle tap from someone that cares about you, like whipped or flogged, like you'd be beaten horribly, or you'd be thrown to jail or even killed, or your family would even suffer. In fact, your family or you may not eat if you didn't work seven days a week from sun up to sundown under this oppressive labor. In fact, there's even records in the Bible where Pharaoh, because he wanted to increase how oppressive the seven days a week labor was, that he would actually even remove the straw so that people had to work even harder. So Pharaoh would even actually take things away so that people had to labor even harder under this seven days a week, sun up to sundown. But then God says, look, I'm not going to take anything away from you, but I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you this Sabbath to rest in. I'm going to give you a day off. But not only that, God says, I'm going to provide for you. And here we see this incredible picture of divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Look, this would be a weekly reminder for the Israelites that God is in control. A weekly challenge for them to choose to obey God. Look, God would provide for them. In fact, he wasn't taking anything away, but he was giving them something. He would provide for them, but they also had to choose to work for those six days, but also choose to rest. And by the way, church, look, this provision and submission here that God is teaching the Israelites, it is not a commission to be lazy. Look, God is telling, look, I'm going to provide for you, but you need to submit to working six days a week, and you also need to submit to resting on the seventh day provision and submission, but it is not a commission for us to not work or to be lazy. You know, there was a guy um, a, a few years ago at a different church I was working at, so there's nobody in this room, okay? Uh, but he came up to me and he was asking me to pray for me. He had been looking for a job uh, for a while. And he said, Pastor, would you please pray for me? He's like, I want to work. I need a job. I was laid off and I need to get another job. Would you pray that God would provide me a job. I said, absolutely. I will pray for you. I believe God is going to provide for you. But I was like, let me ask you a question. I said, in all these months that you've been praying for a job, I said, how many jobs have you applied for? And he said, I applied for one job a few months ago, but they never called me back. And I just, I'm just really praying that God's going to give me a job. And I said, you know what? I, again, I believe that our Heavenly Father is a good father. He's going to provide for you. But right now, you also have to work like your full-time job is looking for a job. Like you should be sending out resumes every single day. You should be applying online, contacting people you know. In fact, I've even heard it said that one of the ways that faith is exercised and that you grow in your faith is that as if you pray as if it all depends on, you, on God and then you work as if it all depends on you. And somewhere between you praying as if it all depends on God and working as if it all depends on you, that faith actually grows. Again, it's provision, knowing that God is going to provide, but also submitting to these principles of wisdom and working hard that he has put in us. In fact, the Apostle Paul would even say in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, he would say, for even when we were with you, 
we will give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. So again, even in God's provision, look, God is going to provide for us, but this is not a commission for us to be lazy. And then Paul would even say in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, he said, look, in whatever you do, in whatever you do, church, work heartily as if for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Look, God will provide, but we work hard. We submit to how God designed the rhythms of life that we are to operate in. As a reminder that you are not to carry all the burdens of life on your own. But again, just like last week, how many people would look at what God had provided and either ignore it? But even just like last week as well, man, this is a picture of how God would ultimately provide for his children. Last week, we talked about how when God provided the man, it was, it was pointing to John chapter 6, where Jesus said, look, I am that bread from heaven. I am that bread of life. But look, this whole Exodus story is a picture of how God would ultimately provide for his children. In fact, they were in slavery 400 years in backbreaking oppressive bondage. There was no way out for them, but God provided a way. It was only through his mighty outstretched arm that they were delivered out of the bondage of slavery. At church, this is a picture of our salvation, the justification that would ultimately come in Christ. That even though we were dead in sins, the only way out was through Jesus. And then this journey that they're making through the wilderness, like it's a picture of our sanctification. As they would have times where they are worshiping the Lord and celebrating who he is, like in Exodus chapter 15, where they were celebrating in their righteous right hand, saving them. I and mean, at times where they would grumble and God would still provide, and at times that God would care for them and also correct them, it is a picture of the sanctifying work that God is doing in us. Now, how many of you know that when it came to your salvation, that you cannot provide your own way? How many of you know that when it came to your salvation, you cannot provide your own way where there is something else, someone else that you needed to submit to to find salvation? Look, this is a picture that even when we were dead in our sin and our trespasses, even though when we were in the bondage of sin, that God provided a way in Christ, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And that if we believe that this Jesus who is God did come into this earth to die on the cross to pay the price for our sins, that he bodily rose from the dead, conquering sin, conquering death and the grave and providing a way for us to live and experience his life to the full. If we repent of our sin and believe this good news about Jesus and we receive him into our lives, that's where we do get this bread from heaven that builds up to eternity and eternity with him forever. And it's just another reminder, just another question for you. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Some of you right now, like you've been so far from God and you've been striving. You've been trying to make a way where there seems like there is no way. You cannot find rest for your souls and only comes through a relationship with Jesus. God has provided a way. Are you going to submit to that way? And for the person who's already following Jesus, look, God has provided a way for you to find real rest in this world that's so busy and at times so crazy. But will you submit to it? 
third way, third thing that rest produces in us is rededication. Look, maybe, uh, th- I'm not sure if I even chose the best word for this one. I mean, it could be realignment, recentering, but something about how we need to remember, look, God is not the one who changes, but it's us who needs to remember that we need to recenter our lives in him. Like this picture, this part of the Exodus story is reminded that we continually need to rededicate, recenter, realign our lives back on the Lord. Listen to how the story continues in verse 31. It says, Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. In fact, I heard one pastor say that maybe the closest connection to what manna would be in the 21st century would be a warm Krispy Kreme donuts. Where you eat and it kind of melts in your mouth. And Moses said, look, this is what the Lord, again, he says this again, don't miss this church. So God provided even his commands. He wants us to submit to those. He says, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And then Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna for 40 years till they came to the habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Now there's a couple of notes here, okay, because this is so good, church. This is so rich in meaning. Don't miss this. First, Moses is writing this down after it all happened. After God um, took them through Egypt, brought them to the the promised land, and Moses is writing this down. That's why he even said, look, it it was 40 years that they were able to eat the manna because God is leading Moses to record this incredible history of what really happened. And I just want to remind you again today that what we're reading today is not a fairy tale. This really happened. God really did deliver his people. He really did provide for them. Now, in verse 34, it says that this jar of manna was to help the people remember how the Lord had provided and how they were able, they were supposed to submit to him and even rest in him. But then it says that this jar of manna was to be placed or kept in the place of the testimony. Now, I'm sure you're asking, it says, It's to be placed before the testimony to be kept. Now, I'm sure you're asking, what in the world does that mean? I'm so glad you asked, okay? The testimony to be kept is actually something that would happen later on in Exodus chapter 25. What Moses is alluding to, again, remember, this has all already happened. He's recording the story as God is leading him. But he also knows that this testimony place was going to be coming a little bit later. And if you read Exodus chapter 25, the testimony to be kept is actually a reference to the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was also known as the Ark of the Testimony. And God would have this Ark of the Covenant, this Ark of the Testimony centered in the tabernacle, which was supposed to be the physical representation of his presence right in the middle of the people. In fact, in the Ark of the Covenant, only three things would go inside there to remind the people of who God is and what his presence 
and provision meant for them. The Ten Commandments will go in there. Aaron's staff that actually budded, Moses' brother, his staff when it actually budded again after the people complained and grumbled before the Lord and God provided for them still. Aaron's staff will be placed in there. And also the third thing that we placed in the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Testimony, was this jar of manna. And the people were supposed to take it out. And they're supposed to look at it and remember God's presence with them in the wilderness. They're supposed to remember how God had provided for them. They're supposed to remember how important it is to build in this rhythm of rest that God had instituted from the beginning of creation and was reminding of it, reminding them of it even right now. It was supposed to be a reminder for them that for 40 years, God would provide for his children. In fact, church, again, like as we're reading this, I hope you know that God's word is living and active. And even though I've heard this story before so many times, in fact, how many of you guys have heard this story again of manna being in the wilderness, like God providing like Exodus, people exiting uh, Egypt? You guys have heard that story before? I've heard this story so many times. I've taught on it many times as well. But this week, as I was preparing for this message, I kept being reminded and kept seeing how for 40 years, God provided this manna for his people. God provided this for them. And and in fact, this was stuff that they'd never seen before. In fact, do you know what the word manna means? It means, what is it? It's this Hebrew phrase that literally when they saw these, these heavenly flakes, like wafers of honey that came on the ground, like the Hebrew phrase manna means manna. It's like they saw and they're like, what is this? which means that God, and this was something that he provided for them. This wasn't some substance that was just on the ground, but it was a miracle that God provided for his people. But he did that for them for 40 years. Every single day, for 40 years, God produced a miracle. Every single day for 40 years, God provided what his children needed. Every single day for 40 years, there is this manifestation of his presence and his provision, a reminder of what he was calling them to and what they needed to submit to. Church, this is a reminder for us. As he provided for his children for 40 years, it's a reminder for us that we should not take what God is doing in us and through us for granted. Every single day, God is providing for you. Every single day, every single day that we have, it is a gift from God. Every single day, he gives us the grace that we need, the love that we need. In fact, he even gives us grace upon grace. Man, this story is a reminder that every single day, God is providing for his children. In fact, Jesus, again, would show us the church today. He would show us these concepts of rest and God's provision, how they're tightly connected. In fact, even when Jesus taught his disciples to pray in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, he says, look, pray your kingdom come, God, your will be done. Again, we submit our will to his ways and his will. He says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And Jesus would even say in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he says, look, come to me, all who labor and who are heavy laden. and I." will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So church, with all of that, okay, I want to take you right back to where we first began with this message. It was actually Dallas Willard who said this. He says, look, hurry, busyness. Hurry is a great enemy of our spiritual lives today. There is a survey that was done with over 20,000 professing Christians from Charleston Southern University about the obstacles that will ultimately hinder Christian growth. They'll actually hinder us from growing and knowing the Lord even more. And this surveyed report said this. It says that Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which leads to God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to a deteriorating relationship with God which leads to Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. And then the cycle begins again. Look, in our hurried, busy lives, yes, we need to work hard, but we also need to rest well. We need to work hard, but we need to Sabbath well. In fact, I wanted to share with you because if we don't do those things, church, there will be this slow drift from growing in Christ. There will be this slow drift from knowing what God has called us to do and submitting our lives to him. So here are three ways that we can actually put this thing that God designed from the beginning into practice in our lives. Write these down. We need to divert daily withdraw weekly, and abandon annually. This is how we practice rest right now in our 21st century culture. We divert daily, withdraw weekly, and we abandon annually. Now, um, I, I won't have time maybe to go through every scenario that everyone in this room is facing. I want to give you two resources as well that would be really, really helpful to you. Um, two resources, two books that you can get on what it means to rest in a way that God has designed. One is The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and the next one is called The Garden City by this pastor and author named John Mark Comer. I'll leave that there for a minute if you want to take a picture of it or write those down, but I really want to challenge you. Get an audio book, digital book, physical book, and, and get this book and listen to it or read it and how you can build some really healthy rhythms of rest into your life. Now, when we're talking about diverting daily, withdrawing weekly, and abandoning annually, here's how you can put these things into actual practice. And here's what it means. When we're talking about diverting daily, think about diverting daily as a mini Sabbath, a mini Sabbath every day from your regular work. This is where you carve out time each day to spend with the Lord. Now, notice I didn't just say to divert daily on Sunday morning but to divert daily every single day of the week. This is where you carve out time every single day during the week to reconnect with the Lord, to recenter your life on him, and also to focus on the relationships that matter most in your life. You know, my wife today is sitting on the front row and she is better than any superwoman or wonder woman out there. In fact, she puts them all to shame. Um, she works so hard for our family. She manages our household. She homeschools four kids. Um, she freelance edits. 
Um, she gets into all their activities on time. She brings, the, and sometimes it may even look like she's a single mom bringing four kids into church on Sunday because she's the one who gets them ready and brings them in here every single week. And she works so hard for our family. But let me just tell you, she's one of the best at diverting daily. In fact, one of the things that she does every single day or most days, like before the kids even get up, she goes downstairs, she makes her little cup of coffee, and she spends time with the Lord because she knows that every single day she needs to have her heart to rest in him before our incredible, wonderful kids, these four blessings come downstairs and there's chaos the rest of the day. She knows that she needs to recenter to realign her life with Christ every single day. So again, church, I want to challenge you, no matter how busy life is for you right now, you need to divert daily. And here's just a, a sub point to this point on how to do that. Look, you need to pick a plan, pick a time, and pick a place, okay? Pick a time, pick a plan, and pick a place. You need to have a time during the day where you're going to dedicate and say, this is my time to reconnect with my heavenly father. This is my place and my space where no one's going to interrupt me. It is my Jesus bubble for the day. I'm going to lean into his word. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to spend time in prayer. And let me just prod you and push you just a little bit more, okay? We're talking about diverting daily. I want to challenge you. Look, if you've been doing just the, uh, the verse of the day with the Bible, or maybe just no Bible at all, I want to challenge you that you would make sure that you lean into God's word. In fact, maybe one thing, if you don't have a plan right now, you can read one chapter of Exodus every single day as we continue to go through this series. You can start in the Gospel of John and read one chapter a day as we go through this series. But pick a time, pick a place, and have a plan. And then through withdrawal weekly, this is what we've been talking about. This is the regular Sabbath, where for at least one day out of the week, you cease from doing work. Look, you take time to rest and again, focus on your relationship with the Lord and the relationships that you have that matter the most. You take your days off and I would even challenge you to guard them. Guard your days off. And if you need to block out some email or some text messages or block some people's numbers so you can actually rest in the Lord and focus on those relationships that matter most, take your day off. And then we also need to abandon annually. Look, if diverting daily is a mini Sabbath, withdrawing weekly is a regular Sabbath, then abandoned annually, this is like a mega Sabbath, okay? Um, I've been reading through the book of Leviticus. I know, I'm super spiritual. But I've been reading through the book of Leviticus. But this time, I've really been trying to pay even more attention to what was happening in that book. And I got to Leviticus chapter 23 and 24. And after God institutes the Day of Atonement, that is a day where people are supposed to reflect on and have their, all their sins forgiven. After the Day of Atonement, shortly after that, God instructed the people of Israel to have something called the Festival of Booths. And the Festival of Booths was supposed to be this seven-day-long period where they were supposed to worship the Lord, remember everything that he's done, celebrate with one another, but they were also supposed to have seven days where they did not do regular work. Let me challenge men in the room, women in the room, married people, single people in the room, take your vacation time. Take all of it. What a gift it is that you get it. 
Don't squander that vacation time with work. Abandon annually. Take that time to reconnect with the Lord and reconnect with the people that he's placed in your life that matters the most. And then as our worship team goes in and makes their way back up to the stage, I know what some of you are saying, of course, Mr. Pastor Guy, you only work one day a week anyway. So what do you even know about what it means to work really hard? In fact, you don't know anything about my job. In fact, I know a lot of you guys serve in the military. I know like sometimes you get deployed. I know sometimes you are literally working seven days a week, probably 24 hours a day. And I, I, we appreciate that. And we love that about what God has called you to do, how you serve this country so we can enjoy the freedoms that we have. Man, I know some of you are building a business right now. And I know it takes so much to get that business off the ground. And you're working so hard seven days a week. You're working so hard toward that to make it happen. And I understand those things. There's even some weeks where, yes, pastors do work more than one day of the week. Yes, we do have it where there are times in our lives where I have to work seven days a week as well, where there's maybe some funerals or weddings happening on the weekend or some other type of emergency that comes up. Look, I understand. But God has designed you to rest. God wants you to build in this rhythm into your life. So I get it. There are some seasons where maybe you can't do all three of those patterns of rest, but maybe right now you can at least just do one. Do you need to divert daily when you take time every day to reconnect with the Lord? You actually carve out some time and also to carve out some time to, to invest in the relationships that matter the most. Come on, dads in the room. Like your kids need you to divert daily, to put work aside for a moment. So they can hear from you, and so you can hear from them. Come on, single people in the room. What, what are the relationships that matter the most that you need to divert daily with to spend time with the Lord? But also, man, do you just need to call your mom? Do you need to call her and talk to her? Is there a friend right now that you need to pray with? You need to invest in the relationships that matter the most. Maybe right now in the season, you can't even do all three of those things, but is there one? Maybe the only one you can do is to abandon annually. You're going to make sure that, you know what, when my vacation comes up, no one's going to take away from my time reconnecting with the Lord and reconnecting with my family. God has designed you for it. He will provide for you, but will you submit to it? Father God, I thank you, Lord, for your word. And God, I know right now our culture is busy. God, I know life is busy, but Lord, that's, it's not anything different that was happening Lord, close to 3,500 years ago when this was written. In fact, you were trying to pull something out of the Israelites that had been ingrained in them or literally beaten in them for 400 years and you wanted them to be like you. The God of the universe rested. So God, would you help us, Lord, for your glory and God, for our good, would you help us, Lord, to rest in you, Lord, to literally define rest for our souls, rest for our bodies, rest for our heart and mind. Lord, help us to reconnect with you. God, help us to reconnect with the relationships that matter the both. God, help us to divert daily. God, help us to withdraw weekly. Lord, help us to abandon annually so you can get all the glory. We love you, God. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.